Hello, listeners and readers. How are you doing? It's been some time, hasn't it? I apologize that there's been such a long wait between chapters for this upcoming. It's been very hot. We're really in the middle of summer, aren't we? And I hope that you are all staying hydrated and keeping as cool as possible. Let's get started reading, shall we? A Lost Lady by Willa Cather. We are in part two, chapter five. Part 2, Chapter 5 Soon afterward, when Captain Forrester had another stroke, Mrs. Beasley and Molly Tucker and their friends were perfectly agreed that it was a judgment upon his wife. No judgment could have been crueler. Under the care of him, now that he was helpless, Mrs. Forrester quite went to pieces. Even after their misfortunes had begun to come upon them, she had maintained her old reserve. She had asked nothing and accepted nothing. Her demeanor toward the townspeople was always the same, easy, cordial, and impersonal. Her own friends had moved away long ago, all except Judge Pomeroy and Dr. Dennison. When any of the housewives from the town came to call, she met them in the parlor, chatted with them in the smiling, careless manner they could never break through, and they got no further. They still felt that they must put on their best dress and carry a card case when they went to the foresters. But now that the captain was helpless, everything changed. She could hold off the curious no longer. The townswomen brought soups and custards for the invalid. When they came to sit out the night with him, she turned the house over to them. She was worn out, so exhausted that she was dull to whatever went on about her. The Mrs. Beasleys and Molly Tuckers had their chance at last. They went in and out of Mrs. Forrester's kitchen as familiarly as they did out of one another's. They rummaged through the linen closet to find more sheets, pried about in the attic and cellar. They went over the house like ants, the house where they had never before got past the parlor, and they found they had been fooled all these years. There was nothing remarkable about the place at all. The kitchen was inconvenient, the sink was smelly, the carpets were worn, the curtains faded, the clumsy, old-fashioned furniture they wouldn't have had for a gift, and the upstairs bedrooms were full of dust and cobwebs. Judge Pomeroy remarked to his nephew that he had never seen these women look so wide awake, so important and pleased with themselves, as now when he encountered them bustling about the forester place. The captain's illness had the effect of a social revival, like a new club or a church society creatures grew bolder and bolder, and Mrs. Forrester apparently had no power of resistance. 
She drudged in the kitchen, slept, half-dressed in one of the chambers upstairs, kept herself going on black coffee and brandy. All the bars were down. She had ceased to care about anything. As the women came and went through the lane, Neil sometimes overheard snatches of their conversation. Why didn't she sell some of that silver? All those platters and covered dishes stuck away with the tarnish of years on them. I wouldn't mind having some of her linen. There's a chest full of double damask upstairs, every tablecloth long enough to make two. Did you ever see anything like the wine glasses? I'll bet there's not as many in both saloons put together. If she has a sale after he's gone, I'll buy a dozen champagne glasses. They're nice to serve sherbet in. There are nine dozen glasses, said Molly Tucker, counting them for beer and whiskey. If there is a sale, I've a mind to bid in a couple of them green ones with long stems for mantel ornaments. But she'll never sell them all, unless she can get the saloons to take them. Ed Elliot's mother laughed. She'll never sell them as long as she's got anything to put in them. The cellar will go dry some day. I guess there's always plenty that will get it for such as her. I never go there now that I don't smell it on her. I went over late the other night, and she was on her knees washing up the kitchen floor. Her eyes were glassy. She kept washing the place around the icebox over and over till it made me nervous. I said, Mrs. Forrester, I think you've washed that place several times already. Was she confused? Not a particle. She laughed and said she was often absent-minded. Mrs. Elliot's companions laughed too and agreed that absent-minded was a good expression. Neil repeated this conversation to his uncle. Uncle, he declared, I don't see how I can go back to Boston and leave the Foresters. I'd like to check school for a year and see them through. I want to go over there and clear those gossips out. Could you stay at the hotel for a few weeks and let me have Black Tom? With him to help me, I'll send every one of those women trotting down the lane. It was arranged quietly and at once. Tom was put in the kitchen and Neil himself took charge of the nursing. He met the women with firmness. They were very kind, but now nothing was needed. The doctor had said the house must be absolutely quiet and that the invalid must see no one. Once the house was tranquil, Mrs. Forrester went to bed and slept for the better part of a week. The captain, captain himself improved. On his good days, he could be put out in a wheelchair and rolled out into his garden to enjoy the September sunlight and the last of his briar roses. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Tom, he often said when they lifted him into his chair. I value this quiet very highly. If a day came when they thought he ought not to go out, he was sad and disappointed. Better get him out, no matter what, said Mrs. Forrester. He likes to look at his place. That and his cigar are the only pleasures he has left. When she was rested and in command of herself again, she took her place in the kitchen and Black Tom went back to the judge. At night, when he was alone, 
When Mrs. Forrester had gone to bed and the captain was resting quietly, Neil found a kind of solemn happiness in his vigils. He had been hard to give up that year. Most of his classmates were younger than he. It had cost him something, but now that he had taken the step, he was glad. As he put it in the night hours, sitting first in one chair and then in another, reading, smoking, getting a lunch to keep himself awake, he had the satisfaction of those who keep faith. He liked being alone with the old things that had seemed so beautiful to him in his childhood. These were still the most comfortable chairs in the world, and he would never like any pictures so well as William Tell's Chapel and The House of the Tragic Poet. No card table was so good for solitaires, this old one with a stone top, mosaic in the pattern of a chessboard, which one of the captain's friends had brought him from Naples. No other house could take the place of this one in his life. He had time to think of many things, of himself and of his old friends here. He had noticed that often when Mrs. Forrester was about her work, the captain would call to her, Matey, Matey, and she would reply, Yes, Mr. Forrester, from wherever she happened to be, but without coming to him, as if she knew that when he called to her in that tone, he was not asking for anything. He wanted to know if she were near, perhaps, or perhaps he merely liked to call her name and to hear her answer. The longer Neil was with Captain Forrester in those peaceful closing days of his life, the more he felt that the captain knew his wife better even than she knew herself, and that, knowing her, he, to use one of his own expressions, valued her.